7, 317. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. 317. First and the last stanza. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. Much we need thy tender care. Good to see everybody here tonight. Uh, as you can see, Mitch is not here. He's on a well-deserved resting time vacation. And Miss Riggins uh, and his mom so much, and I appreciate the fact that they he can he can get away and get rested up, come back, and do it all over again. He's uh, he's quite a guy. Going to go through the announcements. Want to of course welcome everybody tonight. Uh, ladies Fellowship this Thursday at 6.30. Uh, and of course, Father's Day is coming up two weeks away. And then VBS is two weeks away, so it's, it's going to be a busy summer. Teen camp is five weeks away. Man, it's time has flown by fast. And then uh, July 4th, the family cookout. Uh, it's actually on July 2nd. That's Saturday. And uh, we'll have a cookout. As Tony said, uh, we'll have air conditioning because, you know, it's going to be hot. But uh, 
Once again, it is good to see everyone here. Let's go ahead and uh, have our guys come get ready to take up our offering. not go over everything on the prayer list, but just continue to uh, make special prayer for those, particularly those on the cancer uh, and the get well. Um, do we have any to add to anything on the prayer list? Okay, so we're going to stand up. some kind of bug or I think she said something about she's already heard all my messages so she didn't want to tell me she was going to tell me but <laughs> no she's she's not she's not uh, some some uh, one of her friends 
Turn them over to Genesis chapter 9. We're going to start there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll do one more song. We study up a little bit. He's the boss. He can change it anytime he wants, but we'll sing another song, okay? Number two. Turn to song number two in your songbook.
Jason said before, go ahead and turn over to Genesis chapter 9. Um, I'm going to get into something here that's kind of relevant somewhat indirectly with what's happening today. Of course, we know, <coughs> excuse me, this month is Pride Month. And, uh, you know, it, for me, it's Pride Month because I'm proud to be an American. And it's LGBTQ, TQ something. I believe in that. Let's get Biden to quit. Huh? Look at that acronym. Okay, how about that? <laughs> no, but that's going on now. And uh, in my work, I, I, I see it ground zero, and it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. Um, who'd ever thought? You know, that song was perfect that Brother Bill led us in. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus, this, when we see what's happening right now. And I suppose I could really, I mean, it's really not hard to paint an ugly picture of what's been happening in this world the last, particularly the last three or four years, particularly the last two years. But the idea of a Wednesday service is to come together, kind of huddle up, call the play, encourage the players, encourage the team, going out in the world and look forward to Sunday and uh, Sunday to Wednesday, Sunday to Wednesday and uh, walk with the Lord, live for the Lord, do the best that we can with the Lord's help. Genesis chapter 9 and verse 13, let me pray real quick and we'll get into it. Father, thank you again for all your blessings. Thank you for all that you do for us. Ask your blessing upon uh, the message tonight. I pray you'd be with Brother Wiggins and Miss Wiggins. All those that are out sick or traveling, thank you again for all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 13, you know the setting. Uh, the flood had come to destroy the earth because of the wickedness of the earth. And you know the story of Noah and the ark. But in verse 13, uh, start with verse 12, it says, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. And I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. So essentially what God is doing here, and of course, most uh, usually the Wednesday night crowd is pretty um, handy with the word of God and understands this, but kind of reiterate, God put the rainbow in the sky as his personal promise to mankind that he wouldn't flood again, wouldn't flood the earth, destroy the earth by flood again. And that was his personal promise from God to man, a beautiful thing, a holy thing, a righteous thing. So every time, and I just saw a beautiful one the other day, um, I don't know where I was at, maybe in Kissimmee somewhere, and looked over and saw a beautiful rainbow in the sky, beautiful one. Not one of the flags or not one of the things hanging all over the place and not one of the buildings all decked out in rainbow lights, none of that. And I'll get to that just for a minute. I'm not going to give them a lot of time, but I'll say something about that, but I saw that, and then of course it reminded me of God's promise, and I got to thinking about a lot of God's promises, and essentially that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, 
God's promises to us. But um, that was the initial, I guess, uh, one of the first promises uh, that God gave. Um, but of course now, this being Pride Month, everywhere you look, uh, there's some kind of rainbow flag hanging out, or there's some kind of rainbow this, or rainbow that, or a city council getting together and, you know, proclaiming June is Pride Month and all the other nonsense and craziness that's going on. And that's exactly what it is. I understand, listen, I, I would never ever justify anything, but to glorify something like that, I, I personally, and again, I'm, I've got a lot of great stuff about promises, but I, I got to say this. I really feel like here in America now, a lot of folks are just shaking their fist in the face of God and do not realize that the very breath that they take so they can go to the protests and parades is a breath that God gave them. And the number of heartbeats that they have are numbered in God's mind and heart. And he knows how long and when that, it, that their very life is in the hand of God. And it's, it's frustrating, I know. And sometimes when I see a lot of that going on, and, you know, I think about folks that got smaller kids, and I've got, of course, got a granddaughter, and a lot of you have grandkids, and you wonder, man, you know, what are we going to do? Keep them close. Keep them close. Pray for them. Facing things that we never had to face. But, again, I think it's an indication of the coming of the Lord being a whole lot sooner than it used to be. And uh, that's just wonderful to know. So I thought about the rainbow and the real rainbow, the one that God gave. And I thought about the many promises that God has given to us throughout the Word of God. And I, I can't, uh, the original, or the, the original pride rainbow was invented back in 1978, so it was a Johnny come lately. The real rainbow, obviously we know where that's, you know, we know that that's something that God gave us after the flood. But I can't remember the exact number of promises that God has given throughout, or promises within the Bible. I think it's somewhere around 8,800 promises. And of that, about 7,900 are direct promises from God to man. So the Word of God is loaded with them, and I promise you I'm not going to cover all 8,800 promises tonight. So maybe just 1,000 or two, I don't know, but no, I, I won't do that. But I won't go through all of them, but I want to kind of highlight some. Because I think one of the things, and, and you know, the good thing, the great thing about our pastor and about Brother Tony and the leadership here, they understand that Wednesday is kind of like a charge-up day charged up to finish out the week and the messages and the teaching that he brings from from here that I, I mean they're an encouragement to me I love coming on Wednesday and I love being encouraged I love being around God's people we've got a great spirit here and that's an encouragement it lifts me to go back out into the crazy world do what I got to do to survive and live and you have to do what you do to survive and live and pay bills the mortgage company doesn't call you up and say, oh, you're a Christian, you're struggling, you don't have to pay. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. They want that, that car payment, that mortgage payment, that insurance payment, that water bill. They want it all. And so you got to do what you have to do to make a living, take care of your family. Matter of fact, I think the Bible compares someone who doesn't do that as an infidel, but that's part of life. 
But it's such a great encouragement to be here on Wednesday night and shake hands with folks and, and just talk to folks, look them in the, in the face and say God is good. And just be an encouragement. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, I think that's one of the things that I really enjoyed when I ran our camp many years ago. And I was just talking to somebody about that the other day. Some of the crazy, crazy things. Steve probably remembers some of the crazy, crazy things we used to do at camp. And uh, some, of the, some of the stuff we, you know, we'd have fun with at camp. And uh, the biggest thing I liked about it was the fact that we were just kind of away from the world for a week, you know. And, uh, I mean, it was kids always getting into mischief and things like that. But I enjoyed it because I kind of get refreshed. I always just, I was always able, even as busy as I was, I was always able to read my Bible have to wake up early to make sure nobody was pulling pranks and things like that. And uh, So I, I, I enjoy, as you, I enjoy being here on Wednesdays and, and uh, just getting encouraged. But I want to look at some of the promises that God has given. Of course, the first is the promise of life. You know, we got a big, uh, big deal going on about pro-life and, of course, you know, the decision by the Supreme Court that was leaked out illegally. Um, I don't want to get started on that. And, and I think most normal people, normal thinking people, believe that killing a baby in the womb is wrong, and it's murder, and it's, that's, it is what it is. I mean, most normal people. And it's, you know, it's a human life and all that, and it's a life because the Bible says that God knew us when we were in the womb. Formed us. He knew exactly how many cells there was to come together and all of that. And right now, as we as we're here right now, you know when he knows how many cells make up our body, the hair on our head, everything about us, how many heartbeats we have, and he holds that as he holds that knowledge and that power in his hands. So the promise of life is a great promise. Genesis 2:7. The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And he became a living soul. Now God took materials that he had made, the dust of the ground, that was materials that he had made, he had created for the purpose of being on the earth. So even the materials that then, the um, brick and mortar, if you will, of what man is made of is from God. And then he miraculously breathed into man the breath of life as he held this lump of clay in his hands and he breathed in his life, his power into that. And immediately that lump of dust and clay became a living soul. That's amazing to me. I never, ever get tired of reading that. Now, I, I understand now that uh, mankind procreates to uh, the, 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 ver the very first two human beings to be created were created in a very unusual way. And from then on, man, you know, mankind procreates, obviously. And, God, and that's an amazing design by God as well. But to think of God holding that in his hands, holding that lump of clay, and then just blowing into it the breath of life. And God watching as Adam's eyes open up. God's heart beamed with a godly joy at his creations. And the first things that Adam probably saw, you know, 
I don't know. I wasn't there. And I'm going to ask them if I get to heaven. And if you get to heaven, you can ask them too. So uh, you will if you're born again. But I wonder if Adam, the first thing he saw was the face of God. Imagine that, opening your eyes and seeing the face of God. Wow. Breathed into him the breath of life. And then here's, here's one. The promise of sustenance. God gives that promise. And the, although the earth was, was cursed, there was a point where God said, okay, you can get fruit and vegetables and food from the earth. And the promise of climate control. Now, I know we hear climate control, and we think, oh, man, we got, everybody's got to start driving an electric car now because the world's going to just dissipate in a million years. I mean, my goodness, the ocean is rising a whole tenth of an inch every hundred years. In, in a million years, it's going to be up two or three feet. Oh, no. What do we do? Let's all run out and spend 60, 70, 80, $90,000. Yeah, I'll just write a check, as I told a friend of mine the other day. And I don't have the money for that. I said, ah, sorry, right, just write the check. Let's run out and write a check for $100,000 for an electric vehicle, you know, and all this. And, and, and let me tell you, oh, boy, I'm trying not to get too political, but I, but I was listening to one of, one of the president's speeches, and I know you, you almost, you really got to focus in and cipher hard at some of the stuff. But it was almost like he was glad that all the gas prices are so high. So people will climb on board that climate control situation, go out and get electric cars, and just crazy. But climate, God has climate control. Watch this. Genesis 8, verse 22. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Let me tell you. There's your answer to climate control. God control. God's in control of the climate. I know we have, there's variations, and if you look at the history of how long they've kept temperature uh, readings and things like that, there's been fluctuations and all that. But the word of God says, while the earth remaineth, day and night, summer and winter, heat and cold, seed time and harvest, shall not cease. There's our promise right there. The promise of God's climate control. But you see, when you start to hear all these things, you look at them from this perspective. The world is almighty. The world is godless. It's like the United Nations in an attempt to bring peace on this earth. There's been more wars and catastrophes and horrible things between nations since the UN was created than before that. That's not going to solve the problem of wars and uh, terrible atrocities in this world, but they say that it will. No. I mean, we're in the middle of another big, huge, terrible thing going on over in the Ukraine. What's the UN? Oh, guys, you got to stop that. Come on. But yeah, they, they haven't done anything to create world peace, but they want to. Listen, I'm not, I'm not against the world being at peace. Matter of fact, another political person, personal opinion, during the presidency of President Trump, there was more, I, I think a lot of people felt a lot more secure in this world than in the past. 
a lot of people. Now, I know a man isn't the answer, but it just seemed like that, you know, probably because the other countries looked at him and said, I don't think he's, he's just crazy enough to do something. But I, I'm not against world peace. I'm not against nations not killing one another. I like the fact that my neighbors that around me in my neighborhood want to live peacefully together. I like that. Everybody likes that. There's nothing wrong with that. Live. As a matter of fact, we're commanded in the Word of God to live peaceably among one another. Nothing wrong with that at all. But until the Prince of Peace sits on his throne on this earth, that's when the real peace will come. That's when we'll have the real peace. So, climate control, world peace. There you go. Found right in the Word of God. The promise of forgiveness and salvation. Genesis 3.21, go all the way back. Unto Adam also and unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, you go back before that, Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was a that was the prediction of what would happen to Satan. A head bruise is a mortal wound. A heel bruise is a temporary wound. So the Lord went through a terrible, terrible death, crucifixion, and all of that. But then he defeated it and rose from the dead. But Satan has a mortal wound, and he's a defeated foe. That's the promise. In order to show that promise, just a few verses later, God now... It says that God made coats of skin. You know what he did? Probably in front of Adam and Eve, after they had sinned against him, he said, okay, this is what I have to do. And they probably watched as the hand of God located whatever kind of animals, mammals, grabbed them, slaughtered them in front of Adam and Eve with a lot of bloodshed, a lot of bloodshed, tore off those skins. And I don't know if he, you know, with his miraculous powers, tanned the hide of those skins or whatever. But I know he tore those skins off, those animals. He had to shed blood to do it. And then those skins were wrapped around Adam and Eve. Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And this is a picture of exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. Here's another thought. That was all God getting those skins. Man had nothing to do with it. And when God gave those skins to mankind, mankind did not. As a matter of fact, mankind got them because God had to cover their sin. So they, they did nothing to earn them, nothing at all. As a matter of fact, they did not deserve them at all. They deserved condemnation. They, de they deserved, like we all do, the wrath of God upon them. God in his mercy, shed animals who, by the way, didn't do anything. Innocent animals didn't do anything. Took those skins, wrapped Adam and Eve. Now God can look upon them and not see their sin. And that is a picture of exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. Now, did we do anything to deserve it? No. Did we do anything to earn it? Absolutely not. Can we do anything to keep it? That's all God's business. 
no matter how far a person gets away from the Lord, a saved person, and it does happen, believe me, it does. I honestly, to, to be totally frank and honest with you, I could name people off the top of my head that you would never know in a million years that at one time they served the Lord and lived for the Lord because of what they're doing now. I believe they're saved people. I don't know how long, you know, God's mercy is going to, his mercy sure is enduring a lot in this country, so I don't know how long his mercy endures on the, on the child of God that, that drifts away. I know that when the prodigal son came back, that the, the father welcomed him with open arms. I don't know any of that. I don't know the numbers on that. I don't know the percentages of the time. I don't know anything about that. But I do know this, that there are probably a lot of saved people that are far away from the Lord, far away from the Lord. And then there may be a lot of saved people in church whose hearts are far from God. But God's mercy endureth, endureth forever. Those skins were only temporary until the blood of Jesus Christ was shed, and they were a picture of what God planned on doing to his son. He gave his only begotten son, the innocent of innocents, holy and righteous. Wow. A promise now that God is always with us. Let your conversation with him be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I'm going to be honest again. When I read this, I think sometimes about some of those people that go, some believers in different parts of the world, in different eras of time, that have gone through terrible persecution. And immediately my human mind says, wait a minute, God didn't just say that you'd be with them. But he is with them. And we read, you know, many stories of, persecution that's taken place where believers endured it and went through it and God gloriously took them home. I tell you, I don't ever want to go through any of that, but I know that if I have to or you have to, that God has promised he'll be with us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. God just doesn't, you know, God doesn't just throw out promises just to throw them out. He's not careless that way. Every word is important. Every word in the word of God is important. Everything about that God says is every promise that he gives is important. So if he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you, there's a key to that as well. He cares about our problems. That's another a promise. 1 Peter 5, 7, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Now, if you're not dealing with any cares right now, you're ready, you'll probably have some coming. But I would say that a good percentage of us are right in the midst of all of, of some pretty tough worries and cares. And if we're not careful, man, those things can get a hold of our minds and our hearts and discourage us to the point where we think God doesn't care. There's a lot of people like that. Think God doesn't care. If God cared, why would this happen? Or if God cared, why would that happen? If God cared, why would this happen? And, you know, as weak as we are, at any time, we can allow those things to just kind of pile up and pile up in our minds, and we become worrisome, and we we become just worried about everything, and we think, does God care? That's why, <laughs> that's why it says casting 
almost like you're taking a pile of rubbish and trash and just throwing it, giving it off of you, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God, here's my burdens. Here's my cares. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to go away. But there's a big difference in trying to carry your burdens. That's, you know, that's one of the things that a pastor struggles with all the time. And, uh, and, and that's why it's amazing our pastor's been able to, to um, maintain so many years of ministry. Because a pastor automatically bears the burdens of his people. And, and, and some of them learn how to be able to put those upon God so they can, you know, press on the ministry. But pastors really bear a heavy load, a huge load. And some pastors don't know how to, they, they don't know how to bring this burden to God. And it, and it overwhelms them. I thank God our pastor knows how to transfer those, he, although he bears them. And he, he bears more burdens than you and I can even imagine. He's able to transfer them to God and then God can work on them. And that's the kind of God that some of you want speaking to you every Sunday and sharing the scriptures with you. Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Here's another promise. God loves unconditionally. Think about man's limited view of love. Distorted sometimes with greed, with pride, jealousy, selfishness, passion, and unrealistic expectations. That, that's man's idea. Now, mankind has the propensity for love in their lives. I mean, we were made in the image of God. He breathed in us the breath of life. And, and so that emotion of love is there. But because of, you know, our fallen nature, it gets distorted. You know, sometimes a, a young guy will tell a girl, I love you, simply because he wants something from her. And sometimes people will tell other people, oh, I love you, I care about you, because they want something. Greed, pride, jealousy, selfishness, passion, unrealistic expectations. Man's love falls very short. Man's love oftentimes is conditional. But on the flip side, sometimes you see the the love a, a mother has for that newborn or parents have for that newborn, and they would literally do anything for it. Now, my granddaughter, I'd do anything for her. She shows up. Come on with Pop. We're going to get some candy, ice cream, toys, and anything you want. You can pick it out. It's yours. And then we'll go get some more. And then, then it's Yaya's turn. She'll take it, and you can load up on stuff. And uh, But I, I would do anything for her and my kids. I, I think I would. And most Probably all of you in here would, would do that for your kids. Not expecting anything in return. So we can experience unconditional love for the most part. And, and when we experience it, know that that's the perfect type of God's love. Unconditional love. I mean, think about it. For God so loved the world, a disgusted, fallen, sin-cursed, sin-laden, bunch of savages... Us, a bunch of sinners, and God loved them so much, loved us so much, that he gave his son. Think about it. This perfect life. It, it was him. God manifested in the flesh. Wow. That's, that's unconditional. And 
On top of that, he offers salvation, as I talked about before. So that's God's unconditional love. Jeremiah 13, or 31, 3. Of course, we know John uh, 3, 16. But Jeremiah 31, 3, excuse me, one minute. The Lord hath appeared to appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Jeremiah, that was his statement about God's unconditional love. And if you read some of the things that Jeremiah went through, and for him to still understand God's unconditional love, that's a miracle in and of itself. Prophet Jeremiah went through some horrible things. I think at one point, he, it wasn't at one point, he had to lay on one side for three and a half years. Just lay there on one side. And then all kinds of different things that he had to do. But he still understood the unconditional love of God. And then God is always good. There's another promise. Uh, you know how we say God is good and then the response is all the time. He is good all the time. God is always good. Psalm 25, 8. Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he will teach sinners in the way. One of the best things that God uh, uses to teach lost people about him and about his salvation is his goodness. Again, I know the world says, well, if God's so good, why does this, why does that, why does this? And I probably shouldn't make light of that because, in a sense, the lost world I won't say they have an argument, but in their minds they do. But when God shows his goodness, that draws men to him. I remember many, many years ago, before I was saved, but I was under some pretty strong conviction. Didn't know what it was, but I knew I was seeking it as a young man. I remember in a bus terminal, I saw somebody uh, just passing out gospel tracts. And I don't know why, but I walked up to them. Oh, I know why. They were singing gospel songs. I guess they were gospel songs. I don't know. Had a guitar. A couple of young people, a guy and a girl. A girl was handing out gospel tracts, and the guy was singing right in the middle of the, a bus terminal. And here I am under this, I don't even know what it was, deep conviction, trying to figure out what's wrong. And I walked up to him, and I said, man, you say so I said man you play pretty good and the guy looked at me stopped playing he looked at me said um, are you a Christian I said I, 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 I don't know he said can I pray for you I said sure I don't care and I figured he'd go on his bus and pray for him but right there in that bus station I didn't know this guy but I knew there was something about him and I knew he was singing about Jesus Christ and his girlfriend was passing out gospel tracts put his hand on my shoulder and he started to pray for me. Prayed something like, I hope this uh, this guy finds, you know, your truth. But what I do remember is while he was praying for me, there was a peace that was indescribable that happened in that little prayer time. I, I, you know, I'm not a big go-by-feelings guy, but I know that at that moment, for those few moments, while that young guy was praying for me, there was a peace. And then when he stopped, oh, I was still under this. He said, I'll, I'll continue to pray for you. And I thought, my goodness, I, 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 I felt so good. 
and I felt so at peace for those few short moments. I, and, and to me, in my mind, I'm thinking, whatever that guy has, I want. Whatever peace he has, and, and I said to myself, Jesus, and I didn't get saved then. It was until a few weeks later. But I said in my mind, Jesus, if that's what you're about, that's something that I want. It was a peace that passed understanding. And I experienced it. I'm just telling you, you know, I mean, he wasn't worshiping Buddha. He wasn't worshiping Allah. He was a Christian passing out gospel tracts. And I experienced that. And I felt the goodness of God. Now, I'm not going to say that I hadn't felt it over the years of my life, but up to that point, it was miraculous and tremendous. The, the goodness of God. God is good all the time. Here's another one. The promise of adoption. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, in Romans chapter 8. But ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Abba. You know, most of you know that when a, when a person is adopted, they cannot be unadopted. In most uh, legal systems that have ever existed, when someone is adopted into a family as a child, as a son or a daughter, they are a son or a daughter till the end of their life. They can't be shunned. They can't be unadopted. They can't be, I mean probably do some things that would shame their family, but that, that, that adoption remains in per, 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 perpetuity. So when we're adopted into the family of God, behold what love the Father has given unto us, that we, we could be called the sons of God. When we're adopted into the family of God, when we become a child of God, there's nothing nothing that can take that away. That's why we sometimes come under conviction for things, and that's why we're, by, we're troubled by things. Now, God doesn't trouble us the way the devil does. The devil will trouble us with things that we think we have no hope to overcome. The Holy Spirit will point out things in our life that we can correct. Big difference. But that's because we're a child of God. Nothing can change that. Nothing can take that away. I know there's doctrine out there that says that you get bad enough, you can lose it. You can turn it over. You can surrender it. You can be disqualified. Uh-uh. doesn't make any sense. When we were adopted, that was God's choice to adopt us. Not our, I mean, we, we called upon him for mercy. That's all we asked for, mercy. That's what we asked for, salvation and mercy. And God not only gave us that, he gave us a spot in the family of God. He gave us a seat at the table. He gave us a home in heaven. Matter of fact, we do realize that right now we're already seated in the heavenlies according to the scripture. How in the world can you forfeit that? God has already placed us in heaven. There's a placemat at the table in heaven right now with your name on it, my name on it. Mine's close to Jesus, or maybe Moses or whoever, Peter. I talk to whoever. 
But there's a place that at God's table with our name on it right now. Right now as we speak. And it's just a matter of time. We have rights to God's divine nature. Rights to his Holy Spirit's guidance. We have rights to come boldly before the throne of grace. And we have the fact, and I said this before, that we can never not be a child of God. We have privileges. We have these things. We have these things. Now, a lot of us maybe grew, maybe grew up with, you know, a bad name. Maybe a bad childhood, maybe a bad life. We grew up, you know, kind of a rough life, not a great name. But when you're a child of God, you have the greatest name in the world. We have the privilege of his heavenly kingdom. We have the privilege of his divine and angelic intervention. Angels minister to us as children of God. We also have responsibilities. The responsibility of holy living. The responsibility of being a testimony. The responsibility of being a witness. The responsibility of striving to be closer to God. And we have the responsibility are striving to be close to God to gain guidance and understanding. So we have a lot of res, uh, responsibilities. And then finally, we have the promise of we have the promise of deliverance. Now there may be some things. Now Paul, listen, he came to God a couple of times and said, "God, take this thorn away." God said, "My grace is sufficient." But the second that Paul was in heaven, no more thorn. No more. No more thorn. During his life, came to God three times. God, please remove this thorn in me, this thorn in the flesh that I have. God said, my grace is sufficient. And his grace is sufficient. But deliverance did come to Paul. And as we're together right now, Paul has been enjoying that deliverance for a couple of millennia. And that's wonderful. We have that promise of deliverance. Think about millisecond to the twinkling of an eye when we change from this life and all the burdens and pains and sorrows and cares that we had in a moment's time as believers in Christ as we come to the presence of God. With that being said, we still have a lot to do here on earth. We're still in the nasty now and now. And there's still a lot we got to do. God never gave us the uh, command of just Climb up on a mountain, get your rapture robe on, and jump up in the air. And one of those times, I'll snatch you up. He never told us to do that. He told us to press on, do what we have to do. Even the, even the Apostle Paul, towards the end of his life, he said, I press towards the mark. It was on his last lap, and he's the anchorman, and he was pressing towards the mark. So that's what we got to do as believers. Continue. All right, let's, uh, let's go ahead and stand if we could.